Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. Hey everybody, so if you're new to the show or you haven't listened lately, today I'm doing a what I call a hot topic segment. It's a monthly session in which at the end of every month I'm going to talk about all the things that I saw in the headlines that intrigued me, but that I didn't want to necessarily dedicate an entire podcast episode to. These topics all have a way of kind of intersecting the issues surrounding faith, life, and culture. So this month I want to talk about the four following hot topics. First of all, there's a man who had 39 wives who just died. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Jeff Bezos going to space. Jeff Bezos being the founder of Amazon.com. We're going to talk about Pride Month and how all these companies out there love them some LGBTQ people. And then, of course, last but not least, the Southern Baptist Convention got together and, and they all talked about some stuff. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the first hot topic. Hot topic! So there was a man this past month who had 39 wives, and he died at the age of 74. Well, of course he died. If you had 39 wives, that would kill you at the age of 74 too, right? <laughs> so this is kind of a fun story. It's been reported this past month that there's a man in India with 39 wives and 94 children who died. Chana was his name, and he was 74 years old. And all I got to say is, yeah... I think 39 wives into it, it's like, you know, I, I like the idea of living to be 85, 90, 95 years old, maybe. But I think with 39 wives, I'd, I'd be tapping out at 74, too. Heck, I might tap out at 64. Wait a second, how old am I now? <laughs> I think that'd be, that'd be a pretty tough uh, thing to do. So there's this guy named Ziana Chana who lived, I kid you not, in this four-story pink home that had over 100 rooms. Let's see that one on Zillow and what the comps run for, right? <laughs> I bet that's a pretty hot house in a hot housing market. Um, but anyway, so Ziana Chana was, interestingly enough, a polygamous cult leader of some Christian sect in India. A sect, by the way, that he inherited from his grandfather. He was 17 years old when he married his first wife. And at one point, he decided, hey, let's see how many I can marry in a given year. And he married 10 different wives one year. And by the way, when he died at 74, based off his last interview, which had just been a couple years prior, Channel was still looking to expand his little family right there. You know, it wasn't enough to, I guess, have uh, the 39 wives that he did and the 94 children. He, he really wanted to swing for the fences. A real ambitious guy. And hey, if you're going to be a cult leader, if you're going to lead your own little religion, you might as well be ambitious about it, right? <laughs> and I have to wonder, why is it it's always the cult leaders that are the, the polygamous type that have have all the wives and everything? Why isn't it the guy that works down at the 7-Eleven that has, you know, 39 wives and 94 children? How, how come it's never that guy, right? It's always the... It, apparently, in order to be a polygamist 
you have to lead a cult because frankly it's it's probably the only way you could ever really afford to be polygamous right <laughs> start your own religion and you can have as many wives as you want um but you know i've never really understood the polygamy thing as i used to tell my wife and fellas you know how, you know what you're thinking right you know what you're thinking the, every guy when asked why would you be against polygamy like you know apart from some sort of theological answer but your your natural gut reaction is when you think of 39 wives is is to to feel a little tug on your wallet right am i right come on guys every guy understands that the first reaction like when he hears a story is like man that would be expensive <laughs> and I said something like that early on in my marriage to my wife, like, man, like, my opposition to polygamy is due to the fact that that would be costly. <laughs> well, apparently, gentlemen, by the way, if you haven't figured this one out, I discovered early on, the, the reason to say you're against polygamy is not because of the cost associated with being polygamous. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with the cost. It has nothing to do with the wallet. I learned early on in my marriage that the reason why I wouldn't want to be a polygamist is because I only have enough love in my heart for one woman. And that gentleman is the right answer. The reason you're not a polygamist and that you don't have more than two or three wives at the same time has nothing to do with the cost. has nothing to do with the cost. has nothing to do with the fact that you work at a 7-Eleven and this guy you know, runs his own little cult that he inherited from his grandfather. The truth, gentlemen, the truth is because there's only enough love in your heart for one woman. But apparently this guy had enough love in his heart for 39. <laughs> Hot topic! So it was announced this past month that in the month of July that founder of Amazon.com, Jeff Bezos, billionaire, richest man on the planet, even after he got his divorce. <laughs> uh, he's apparently going to outer space. And he's doing so by hitching a ride on a space rocket built by his company that he has of the name Blue Origin. Now, if you're not familiar with Blue Origin, I had never really heard of it. I'd kind of whispered. it's It kind of tickled my ear at one point, but I never really knew its name. Um, but he's going to space on a company he founded called Blue Origin. Uh, and he's taken a couple people along with him, one of them being his brother, and then a couple of them being individuals who bought tickets for a really high price. Well, you know, and it kind of got me to thinking, when, when people want to have a side hustle, most people think when they want to have a side hustle, make a little extra money on the side, you know, oh, I'm going to go deliver for DoorDash, or I'm going to go drive for Uber. And, and that's how we think how we can make a quick buck. Right. That's that's what most people if you like listen to like financial podcast type stuff, they'll they'll recommend having a side hustle, whatever your side hustle is, so you can make some some extra money. Well, Jeff Bezos is not like you and me or well, maybe he is, you know, uh, he's got his side hustle. He's he's he, he gets in his version of Uber. It's a space rocket. Granted, it's a space rocket. It's it's not your beaten down minivan in which you're going to go drive people around town or, or run them food. Uh, but Jeff Bezos, you know, he's down with the struggle. He he knows he knows what it is like to be a working man and to, and to have have it hard to make ends meet. So he he founded a little side hustle known as Blue Origin, a, a, a space traveling company. 
you know, just to do something else on the side when he wasn't building out his Amazon.com empire. Um, but so Jeff Bezos is taking his side hustle to space this next month. Uh, it's reported that he's going to spend 11 minutes in space. Um, and that's probably, you know, as terrifying as it would be to spend 11 minutes uh, driving around a stranger in your Uber ride, right? <laughs> you know, going up to space for 11 minutes with, you know, a handful of people being blasted into the atmosphere and not knowing if it's going to explode or not. You know, that's, that's definitely something to be concerned about. Um, but, you know, chances are they probably got those kinked, kinks worked out in transportation in the 60s. <laughs> um, so, you know, Jeff Bezos is going to go to space. I even read somewhere recently before I got on today's podcast uh, that, you know, there's a petition on change.org circulating in which 120,000 people have signed a petition to ask Jeff Bezos to stay in outer space. That's kind of interesting right there. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I don't know why people hate themselves, Jeff Bezos. Like, Bernie Sanders is always dumping on Jeff Bezos. And, and I get it. He's got to score some political points. But it's like, do you really want to score political points against the guy who delivers box with a smile on the side of it that people order from all the time? I, I, I don't know. Um, it's like Santa Claus around here sometimes, you know, in July at that. But anyway, so that's the that's what's happening with Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon.com. He's doing his little side hustle in space. He's he's selling tickets. Uh, you know, maybe if you save up your Uber fare money, you'll be able to uh, get a get a ticket with uh, Jeff Bezos the next time he decides to uh, go into space. Hot topic. So this past month of June was Pride Month here in America. It's a month. Uh, it's a month in which the uh, LGBT community uh, was honored by the government and you know a lot of companies throughout America. This year seems especially festive compared to prior years. Um, you know, I'm not gay, but I kind of noticed there were an exceptional amount of uh, you know gay pride type flags being flying everywhere. Not only were a lot of flags being flown, but I noticed on social media. Uh, a lot of companies decided to mark their social media presence and uh, run some ads um, in which they changed some aspect of their social media page uh, to something that incorporated rainbow colors in their online presence. Uh, some of these companies changed their colors first day of June. They were ready. They, were, they hit the ground running. Um, but I kind of noticed something. <laughs> I kind of noticed something. I, no I noticed that not everybody got the memo about June 1st, apparently. Um, because apparently about a week or two later, maybe even... In some cases, I even saw companies not changing their corporate logos to represent pride colors until about the third week of June. Um, and that got really me to thinking about the entire Pride Month LGBTQ thing and how corporations love them some gay people. Um, it kind of made me think that uh, <laughs> call me a cynic, but maybe they don't. Um, I know, I know. They, they changed the logo. They changed their social media presence. They ran some TV ads. They maybe even made some donations to various organizations. Um, but I couldn't help but wonder, especially for those who were kind of late to the parade, um, that maybe that they were late to the parade because they were simply trying to, I don't know, Possibly avoid the negative publicity that could potentially arise if uh, they didn't exactly blend in with 
what everybody else was doing in corporate America. Um, I don't know. Call me a cynic, right? 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 Um, it's almost kind of like some of these companies were kind of caving to just some institutional peer pressure. They hadn't really thought about it until they realized kind of like, huh, I'm the only one that didn't get dressed up. So I guess I got to go uh, put on my party clothes, right? But it also got me to thinking, you know, if, if some of these companies were kind of late to the parade. Um, it got me thinking also, how many of these companies who went all out for Pride Month in June really did so because they believed themselves to be champions of human rights? You know, and that's what many of these corporations are trying to give the impression of. That they're champions of liberty, they're champions of human rights, that they're down with the struggle, that they can, I, that they can identify with gay people and that gay people can identify with them. And as a result, maybe they can exchange and do some business together or maybe they'll buy some of their merchandise and, and that sort of thing. But it kind of got me to thinking, if these companies are really the champions of human rights that they say then why didn't they stand up for LGBTQ people in places like Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Russia, and other nations in which being gay might actually cost somebody their life? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a cynic. But it seems to me that maybe these companies really don't care about LGBTQ people and their rights all that much. Instead, they just were simply going along with whatever was politically fashionable, whatever was culturally fashionable, because they didn't want to be the person that was standing while everybody else was bowing. And maybe they were afraid of a little backlash and a little boycott, and maybe somebody coming around eventually saying, hey, hey, why haven't you done anything for Gay Pride Month this month? You know, do we need to boycott you? Do we need to run an ugly smear campaign? Do we need a shakedown? I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just too cynical, but I, I think that's kind of how the world works, especially with some of these social issues. And, and whatever your opinion is about LGBTQ issues, and I know there's a lot of different opinions, I definitely have mine. I'm not going to get into them. Uh, and I know a lot of people have theirs. But I couldn't just help wonder, though, if all these corporations ultimately just decided that they could have, you know, maybe get a little good publicity. Uh, maybe get some good graces with certain political factions and other organizations within this country, buy some discrimination insurance, <laughs> uh, and they do the do so by simply changing um, their social media presence to be reflective of uh, gay pride colors and all that sort of stuff. And I thought maybe just along the way they thought they could make a few bucks by pandering to a certain segment of our population in overt crass commercialism just kind of like they do with christmas every year right <laughs> no no they they wouldn't do that they wouldn't do that right no 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 jimmy no anyway that's my take on that particular issue so uh do with that as you may hot topic So this past month, the Southern Baptist Convention got together and they elected a new pope. Well, 
Not really. They don't they don't have popes in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, which, you know, is kind of an important point that I'll get to here in just a second. But this past month, the Southern Baptist Convention got together. The Southern Baptist Convention being the largest Protestant denomination in America. They got together for their annual conference, and they did so in Nashville. It was a highly contentious conference in which issues regarding race, gender, and sexual abuse scandals dominated the conference, amongst many other issues. There are two primary factions within the Southern Baptist Convention trying to decide the future of the denomination. One was led by a group of individuals who likened themselves unto pirates, Argh, mateys, who wanted to save the denomination from the woke group of individuals they believe are misleading the Southern Baptist Convention and taking the denomination down what they believe to be a more progressive or liberal path. In the end, the South uh, the, in the end, the Southern Baptist Convention elected their new pope to lead the denomination, Pastor Ed Lydon, I think is how you say his name, Lydon, Lydon, I'm not sure. How do you say that? Hey, Clark, if you're listening to the show, let me know how to say it. <laughs> uh, but Pastor Ed Lydon won the day, became the new Southern Baptist Pope, uh, and they soundly defeated the pirates. And I don't personally have a lot to say about the Southern Baptist Convention and the issues facing their denomination or the individual that they elected to be their new leader. I don't really know who he is. I'd never heard of him before until this conference. Um, and while, you know, I heard perspectives on him versus the other people that were running that made me think he was a pretty good guy, and I probably would have voted for him too. Um, at the end of the day, I'm not Southern Baptist, and I don't have a horse in this race. Um, and let me go ahead and say, you know, I was saved as a Southern Baptist, Result of some Southern Baptist preachers sharing the gospel with me and preaching to me. Um, and I was water baptized about 17 years old in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, but uh, I am no longer a Southern Baptist, although I still consider myself very firmly evangelical in my theology. And I go to an evangelical free church today. However, I only bring up the issue of the Southern Baptist Convention and their getting together um, to point out kind of an important thing that I think a lot of folks forget about when they talk about Southern Baptist. If you paid attention to the media, if you paid attention to Twitter, especially on Twitter, you would get the idea that this Southern Baptist Convention is this monolithic organization. Um, and that it, you know, you could think of the Southern Baptist Convention in the same way we might think about uh, Roman Catholics or Methodists and the structure that their church have, in which they have, you know, a very hierarchical organization that's centrally controlled and planned everything, and that the churches are but extensions of those organizations, those greater corporate structures that they have. Every Roman Catholic church is an extension of the ministry of the Pope and so forth. Um, but in truth, Southern Baptist don't have an organization that in any way resembles what you think of when you typically think of uh, churches like Roman Catholic churches or Methodist churches and whatnot. Um, truth is, Southern Baptists are very loosely structured in their organization, and they are a voluntary fellowship of independent churches who just so happen to decide to get together under a common name and banner. They sit there and say, hey, you know, we have some of these distinct theological perspectives in common, and uh, those truths are important, 
And because we want to do a couple bigger things beyond our local church, and we want to have some seminaries, we want to have some mission boards and things of that nature, they kind of have stitched themselves loosely together over the years as kind of this voluntary fellowship of independent and autonomous churches. So when you attempt to understand what's going on in Southern Baptist land uh, and, and the churches that make up the Southern Baptist Convention, you have to be very, very careful when attempting to paint the denomination with very broad brushstrokes. Um, because I must say that, you know, as someone who has spent a lot of time with Southern Baptist church folk and know a lot of Southern Baptist church folk and, and uh, you know, um, I must say that while there are some common things that a lot of Southern Baptist churches have in common, the truth is that the average run-of-the-mill Southern Baptist church has just as many differences as they do things in common. Um, you can have very different cultures with very different perspectives on the faith at many different churches that make up the Southern Baptist uh, conventions because at the end of the day they're not like the Catholics or Methodists where they have somebody who's telling them what they must believe and how they must govern themselves they don't have this top-down hierarchy that rules from afar and barks orders at congregations from a central office they are not a giant corporation that has a true Pope type figure um, and truth they're just kind of this sort of group of cells that kind of, you know, say, hey, you way over there across town. Yeah, you. Maybe we can do something together sometime with our church and my, your church and my church. And, and maybe we'll loosely fellowship and uh, pool some resources occasionally to do something bigger and better than what we can do independent of each other. Um, and that's pretty much how the Southern Baptist Church Convention um, convenes and, and relates to one another. Um, and, you know, as a matter of fact, anytime a Southern Baptist church isn't happening with, happy with what's happening in the Southern Baptist church, they are free to leave it. And they don't have to embrace any changes that anybody of anything happens at the Southern Baptist Convention so happens to decide. Um, if at any time they want to leave the convention, they can do so. And they don't have to ask anybody's permission. Um... Whereas, like, if you had a Catholic congregation or a Methodist congregation, nope, you couldn't do that. You would have to submit to the rulers and authority over your individual church. Uh, the Southern Baptist Church has no such rulers of authority that they must submit themselves to. Like I said, it's entirely an independent group of churches who just decide to voluntarily fellowship with one another. And... While they do have this greater umbrella organization that they've put together, that they relate through, at the end of the day, they are autonomous, they are independent, and what they do is a completely cooperative and voluntary effort, which means that if anybody that is president of the Southern Baptist Convention decides that they need to make some changes amongst Southern Baptist churches and the way those churches govern themselves and what they believe and how they conduct their affairs, um, at the end of the day, it's kind of hard for them to pull any sort of levers that automatically make that happen. They can't just be like the Pope and issue an ex-cathedra and say, hey, if you don't follow these rules, we're going to kick you out. They just can't do that. They can't, they can't just say, hey, this is the new rule, everybody else, see ya. Um, you know, like they more like if, if any sort of rules 
change with the Southern Baptist Convention, they're all going to have to agree on it. <laughs> because their church isn't run from the top down, it's run from the bottom up. Um, so if any changes happen in the Southern Baptist Convention, those changes are slow, and they ultimately happen one church at a time from the ground up. Now, if you could just do me a favor and let all the folks on Twitter and the media know these things, because I think a lot of the vitriol and crazy stuff that I saw personally on Twitter and the media this past month probably would have never played out the way that it did. And people might maybe have just withheld some of the sweeping generalizations and judgments that they made about the issues the denomination is facing. Very serious issues, might that be. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if they realize that the Southern Baptist Convention is structured this way, and most people don't realize that it is, um, they would have realized that you can't just pull a lever and make magic happen. Um, that instead, changes happen from the ground up, and they happen, generally speaking, by consensus. Um, so if you want to change the Southern Baptist Convention, you need to get involved in the life of a local Southern Baptist Church. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. This week's episode has been a special episode in which I'm taking a break from the normal routine of my regular episodes and uh, just dedicating things to the hot topics that I saw uh, this past month that I thought were interesting and that I could bring some perspective to, but that weren't necessarily something I wanted to dedicate to the entire podcast episode to. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have and you want to come back and listen to some more, uh, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find out your favorite way to subscribe. There are so many ways to subscribe. You don't even know how many opportunities you have unless you go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe in which you will find links to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And if you're maybe of the boomer persuasion, there is a newsletter that you can sign up for by just simply entering your email address and you'll get a weekly update usually about seven or usually about every Sunday at about 10:30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time um, in which I usually release a podcast episode. So everybody, again, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. If you've enjoyed this, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Uh, let me know your feedback and your thoughts on these topics. And be sure to, uh, if you've really enjoyed this podcast, go crazy. Go crazy now. I'm going to make a recommendation. Go to Apple and leave a five-star review. There, I said it. Now maybe you'll do it. <laughs> everybody take care. God bless. Have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>